0: when I moved to San Diego in the latter part of 2008. And this was a period where there were very few jobs in engineering. A lot of the folks I talked to using sort of my normal channels were often saying, hey, uh, we'd love to have somebody like you on the team. Unfortunately, we just let three or four people just like you go because there's not enough work to go around anymore. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it.
1: If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott.
0: Here's Scott.
1: When you start to think about making a job change... A lot of times the question comes up of, what do I need to do to make myself a good candidate for organizations? And you know, this, is, this is a great question, but I would suggest something different. I would suggest instead thinking about how can you turn yourself into a candidate where they would be crazy not to hire you, where they would be absolutely insane Not to bring you on board in some capacity, or at least mark you on the list of people that when they have an opening, they know who they're going to call first. One of the best ways to do that is with something that we call test drive, test drive conversations. And you may have heard over the last several months, We've brought some past guests back onto the podcast to catch up with where they are now in what's changed in their lives and their work since we last had them on the show. This week, we're bringing back Mike Bigelow onto the podcast, and we share exactly what he did to take those test drive conversations and really amp them up and turn them into something that is not just truly phenomenal but allowed him to get multiple job offers from companies that he absolutely wanted to work with and even get them to change some of those job offers along the way. Pretty cool, right? Well, tomorrow we're actually going to bring him back on the show and I'm going to share what's happened over the course of the two years since this career change. So you're going to get a then and now. To help us understand where he is today, though, let's go back in time so you can hear Mike's story from the last time he was on the show.
0: So one of the things that I guess is maybe part of the origin story, if you will, I've been fortunate enough to work in several different areas over my career so far. And one of the odd things that has come out from that, one of the unique things, I think, is the position I'm often in, in finding work in another city. So I'm always conducting remote job searches. And this presents a lot of different things uh, in terms of challenges and how you approach these sorts of things. When I first started my career, you know, right out of college, it was just, you know, email alums and checking with them and have some conversations. And uh, it was good, but it was amateur. Maybe a couple of times I got picked up by a headhunter or something like that, and that was refined. But what really brought me around to the idea that A systematic approach to making a career change and the value of coaching was actually when I moved to San Diego in the latter part of 2008 and this was a period where there were very few jobs in engineering a lot of the folks I talked to using sort of my normal channels were often saying hey we'd love to have somebody like you on the team unfortunately we just let three or four people just like you go because there's not enough work to go around anymore so I realized early on in that career transition that if I was going to be able to find a job, it was rewarding in an area that I wanted to. And eventually just to be able to pay rent, like I would need help because I wasn't getting the results I needed. So I hired a coach back then and it was one of the best I've ever made because I was pushed to become the best version of myself and to present myself in ways that I hadn't thought about before. And at the end of that, it was a four month career campaign. And it really was a campaign. Like there was day in and day out activities, you know, constantly trying to meet new people, find ways to add value. At the end of that, though, I felt like I'd been through the crucible, as it were, and I could pretty much figure this out no matter what came my way. And that proved pretty true for the next couple of transitions due to different moves and things like that.
1: Let me ask really, really quick. I'm super curious when you went to San Diego, what took you there in the first place? And what were you doing just before that? Just to fill in some of the
0: gaps for people. Great question. So I was moving to San Diego to support my wife. We were dating at the time, but she had a once in a lifetime opportunity for her educational career to get into astronomy. And this is a very competitive scientific field and something she's been very passionate about. And it just lights her up like nothing else in the world. So. I had the great fortune to have enough savings and the position and a little bit of experience in the job market to be able to join her in that move. I had been an engineer for about two years before, and I, I was actually working as a summer camp counselor, taking a bit of a break from that when the recession really got into full swing. And that move down to San Diego was one of those ones where I just had some money in the bank and didn't know anybody, and I kind of had to start from ground zero in this time when... Folks like me were in great supply and low demand, (laughs) and I ended up finding a position with a wonderful organization called the Center for Sustainable Energy, and they were administering rebates for new solar photovoltaic and solar water heating technologies. And my background in engineering sort of lent myself to that, and I accepted that position and started at the beginning of 2009. And that was one of the best things that happened to my career, honestly was the, the coaching that allowed me to present myself in such a way to be appealing to these recruiters and our HR folks that were screening all the different applicants, as well as the support that my coach gave me in the first really six months on the job and made myself one of those folks that eventually became indispensable to the group I was working on. While I was there, I got promoted twice. And that was all because I set myself up for success at the very beginning. It obviously took a lot of work. And there was a lot of soul searching that went into that whole process, but at the end of it, looking back, I said, you know, it was really good that I ended up hiring Steve, who was my job coach at the time, and that I was fortunate enough to run into these folks at the Center for Sustainable Energy. They continue to do great work, and I still love running into those people from time to time because there's just so many cool things that they're doing, and being able to be a part of that really helped launch the green engineering aspects of my career. That have borne fruit time and again.
1: So I'm curious what happened next to then. And first of all, that's super cool because I know a bit more about your progression, a little bit about your story, those green engineering aspects that you mentioned too. I know those are going to come up again too. Mm-hmm. So what happened from there? What prompted you to change again? Because I know there was another change.
0: Yeah, a lot of that change came from the advancement of my wife's career to get a PhD and so on and so forth. We'd ended up moving back to the Pacific Northwest. We wanted to either end up in Seattle or Portland. And so we moved to Portland for my position, actually, which was was wonderfully flexible on my wife's part. She did a great job negotiating her position with where she ended up now. And, you know, we had two years in Portland, but we knew that we would eventually have to move to Seattle for her position. And that's kind of what prompted me to start thinking about, okay, well, I know how to do this from a mechanic's perspective. I know how to get introduced to people. I know how to talk to folks. I've done this whole job search thing a few times. What's really gonna make this different for me, though, is I feel that this is an opportunity not just to change location, but also an opportunity to change position. This could be not just a lateral move from one city to another, but it could have the opportunity to be a promotion as well. I really do feel like I was moving my career and my experience to where I would be able to transition from leading projects to potentially leading teams of technical people. And that has sort of been where I wanted to be for a long time, because it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever gotten to do. Back in college, I had a small team of folks I got to work with, and they said, sure, Mike, you can be team leader for this year-long project. We were working on fuel cells, and I absolutely loved that, and I knew that's where I wanted my career to take the path to, to grow along. And I knew that, you know, to get to a position in leadership, you kind of had to know all the things leading up to that. So that's kind of where I was when I was thinking about, okay, when I make this transition to Seattle, is this a possibility at this point? I think it is. How am I going to make that happen? So that was one of the reasons why I said, well, coaching did a lot for me back in 2008. I think it might be time to try coaching again to go from good to great And to take some of those experiences that I've had and really draw out the best and brightest parts of them so that if there are opportunities to step into a more leadership based role, that I will not only present myself well enough for those, but I'll also be able to identify really where the big value adds are in those types of roles. And that can be something that I could do on my own. I know that those tasks are generally easier with an expert who is got a bit of distance between the problems that you're discussing and sort of your emotional state as you're looking at these things. (laughs) So that's...
1: Yeah, it's hard to see your own blind spots.
0: Exactly. And so that's what I felt would be a real asset to bringing a coach along for this particular portion of my my career transition.
1: Well, here's what I'm really curious about. And I think you did an absolutely fantastic job. I said that earlier on as we were getting started here, but... First of all, curious about your first couple of transitions. And even if we go back before that, I heard you say, you know, the remote job search and really kind of mastering the remote job search. What do you believe, having been through that a few times, what do you believe are the major differences between the remote job search versus the local job search? What makes that more difficult in your mind?
0: Well, the local job search has the advantage of being able to meet someone face to face for a coffee or for something like that without a lot of disruption to your schedule. When you're using a lot of the techniques that you talk about, Scott, and that many other uh, career experts talk about, it's sort of the fundamentals of being able to do a good informational interview or talk to somebody about how they got to where they are because you want to maybe think about how you can, can sort of follow a similar path or add a similar amount of value to your own organization. Being able to be in the same place is huge. So when you don't necessarily have that at a moment's notice and you have to schedule those face-to-face interactions around some sort of travel or vacation that gets a bit more challenging. The other part of it is that I really pushed myself to understand that a lot of the folks I'd be talking to were making an extra effort to talk to me because again I wasn't going to be around, you know, for a face-to-face conversation. You know, they were taking time out of their day to talk to me on the phone or by Skype or what have you. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that those 15 minutes or half an hour that we had together were worth it for them. So it drove me to really over-prepare my questions, how I thought about making time for their responses. Even the way I took notes on this kind of thing. like It was just, I had a whole process I'd go through every time And that, I think, really paid off because I felt that, A, there was a great number of of conversations I had that just were absolutely fantastic. I learned a lot about the green industry, not just from a sort of Seattle-centric perspective, but also from a, a larger sort of meta perspective. So those were absolutely wonderful insights to share with other professionals. And in the end, I really felt that it wasn't just about an exchange, right? I wasn't just a job seeker was hoping to make a transition. I felt like I could give something to them that was valuable, that was just, you know, I didn't want to feel as mercenary about it, honestly. I wanted this transition to Seattle to be a better exchange. I wanted folks to feel like that I I took them seriously, I followed up on their advice, I had my own insights to share with them, or, or ways that I could provide value to their organizations, even if we didn't end up working together. And More often than not, I felt like I was able to provide that, either through saying, hey, this is what I found out about this particular sort of meta trend that's going on, or, you know, I feel that these tools are probably going to fit your requirements better than some of these other tools. I'd be happy to give a presentation about that. And sometimes it was just, oh, hey, yeah, you're going to be in my neck of the woods. I'll buy a beer or whatever. And it was that kind of mentality and a mindset that I felt really allowed me to make the most of that distance, and to actually turn that obstacle into an asset where the amount of effort coming into it would allow folks to feel like that was worth their time. And it was certainly something that I wanted. It challenged me to bring out something beyond my current best. It stretched me.
1: So that is both awesome and interesting at the same time. Awesome because I know what that takes, and that's not easy necessarily interesting because we get the how do you do that question so frequently so often and then also what does that look like because i think there's really a lot of confusion about this whole value thing Mm -hmm. what the heck is value and we've joked around with it quite a bit on the podcast but i mean really you start to hear that word all the time how do i add value right but i think you've already just mentioned a couple of semi-tangible ways and what that looks like. But I'm curious if you can give an example. And since it's been semi-fresh for you, Mm -hmm. tell us about one of those times where you were able to go in and you were able to add value in one way or another.
0: Well, one of the things that I do as part of the package of engineering and my sector of that is energy simulations for buildings. So you take a computer program, you build a virtual building inside of it, you put virtual people in it, they run all the virtual lights and add air conditioning or they want heat or whatever, and at the end of a virtual year in computer time, you figure out how much energy that building is likely to use. Yeah, This is a difficult thing to do well in the building industry, but it's critical that it be done well for green buildings and for some of the really high performance stuff that is pushing the industry to be more effective, more efficient, more cost-conscious. There are firms that do mechanical engineering very, very well, and they come up with amazing designs that provide comfort, and it's one of those things, you know, how you talk about technology, you need to be beautiful or invisible. This is both beautiful and invisible, like what these folks do. It is absolutely fantastic to see and understand kind of what they go for when they, when they put these things together. Yeah. So you can do that beautiful, invisible work and provide that end result of just comfort consistently throughout a building without any problems without a lot of energy being used without necessarily doing the energy modeling stuff that i specialize in so there was a firm i got to talk to that was like well yeah we might try to get into that and the last couple times we've done that it's been difficult for one reason or another you know what would you do if you were to come in here and help us out and i said well Regardless of what I would do, I would say here are the tools that are out there and what we need to do for you as a firm. Because an individual solution, like if I come in and I give you the solution and I'm the guy that you have to run everything through, that's fine for a while. But hit by a bus and you've got deadlines, like, you know, that's not going to work. We need to take a more systematic approach. And so here's how I would do that from a larger perspective. And you can do this without necessarily hiring me in terms of, you know, take this tool with this kind of post-processing to get these sorts of results. Once you have that under your belt, you might be able to add X, Y, Z types of detailed solutions and things like that. I'm being vague on purpose because there's a lot of detail that gets into this thing.
1: (laughs) Save the four hours of explanation to understand the explanation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So in that process, we were able to collaborate on what a modeling system or solution for their firm might look like and that was a way that I could use my experience to benefit somebody even though I wasn't necessarily uh, going to be hired by them and them to kind of like yeah this is really cool stuff yeah we can potentially bring you in for a presentation and it, it made the conversation much more two-way which I felt really awesome about other times I was just able to offer you know findings from my research about well have you thought about talking about what we do as mechanical engineers? in a different way in terms of saying, well, you can connect this energy thing that we're doing not just to this green building metric, but those two things actually combine for lower operational cost. And if you can prove it with these types of details and patterns and backup, you might be able to talk to the project owner about, well, we're moving into a realm where you're going to have a higher profitability, lower cost to operate, and product, which means that some of your core stats, and they've got their own jargon to talk about those things, will be better in these ways. And so it was the ability to talk to folks about not just the technical work that we do, but also how we as engineers talk about it to non-engineers and how we can make sure that folks are giving us either the credit the team deserves in order for the amazing work that they do, or how to take what we're doing and make sure that more people understand why it's important to their particular slice of the building industry. And those kind of conversations, again, even though I wasn't necessarily in the running for anything, or they weren't hiring at the time, made it a great conversation. And, you know, it's one of those things that we were able to develop sort of a professional and mutual respect for each other's particular disciplines within mechanical engineering and those different spaces. And that, I think, was the way that my research into not just how to do what we do for you know the actual tasks, but also the greater picture that those pieces move in was able to really help other firms kind of think about, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is pretty cool stuff. And if we can talk about it in these different ways, being able to add those different perspectives and tools to their toolbox was another way I was able to provide value.
1: So I heard you say that You were spending your own time of your own volition going and having conversations, probably some of this time on your vacation, I would imagine, or when you could be doing other stuff Mm -hmm. and you were helping them without expectation necessarily that they're going to hire you.
0: Well, yeah, that's the truest way I can really feel like I'm giving to somebody is to, to have as little expectation for reciprocity as possible. And I honestly, for me personally, that made it a lot easier to kind of get away from the how am I going to be efficient about this and all those other sorts of things that can really put you in a different state that isn't good long term. It's very me focused rather than we focused or outward focused. So I did spend a lot of time preparing those sorts of things. I did spend time for lunch breaks, my weekends and things like that, figuring out how I could bring value to folks through these different conversations, because I would assume that, you know, either they're having problems similar to what I'm facing in terms of getting non-engineers to understand what we do, for instance, or, you know, with energy modeling and how to systematically take a an approach that's going to work for them. I mean, they were using way different tools than I was, but at the same time, I had used those tools in my other work, and so was able to kind of talk about those kind of things from a, a general strategic perspective. And that's what's important is that, you know, you're thinking about how you can serve the other person using the knowledge that you have. And sometimes those assumptions were a bit off the mark, but at the same time, you know, being able to say, well, here's X, Y, and Z. I like X, Y, and Z a little bit, but really what I'm concerned about is A, B, C. I'm like, you know, we're already talking about the alphabet, so let's just focus on a different part of it or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> so there's that. And then the other part of this, Scott, is that because I really wanted to make sure that I felt like I was giving to folks... I did my best to always follow a practice which was new to me in this particular piece, which was to find something in our conversation that I could do for them as a follow-up. And it doesn't have to be business related. There was one guy I was talking to and he didn't allow me to buy the beers or anything like that when we were talking. And so I, you know, there was no way I could give him any of those kind of sort of monetary things or whatever. But he mentioned that, you know, I'm kind of new to the area and I really like hiking. And so I knew a couple of areas that were great hikes. I had seen other folks that are, you know, got young kids or families and things like that on these hikes, having a good time and said, hey, you know, at least I can follow up with that as a way to say more than just a thanks for your time. So I said, hey, this great hike we talked about. Here's the reasons that I think it was great. You know, I had some fun with my folks on one like this. And here are the the links to the websites talking about the trailheads and things like that. You know, and he said, thanks for that, and that was great. We got to kind of talk about hiking a little bit more after that by email. But at the same time, it was making sure that I was doing my best to feel like I had given something that really pushed me to think about, well, if I can't give something from a career or a sort of job-focused perspective, there are other things that you can do for folks. Even if it's recommending, like, a good YouTube video, like, it shows that you care. It's very natural. It's fun. I mean... Folks do this with their friends all the time. Hey, you got to check this thing out. So I found some great SciShow videos that talked about, you know, avocados, and <laughs> sent those to folks. Of course, it wasn't just randomly. Like we had actually talked about, you know, oh my kids are interested in science and they're, you know, nine and ten and they, you know, are all about blah blah blah. I was like, hey, well, have you seen this? Or you know, other folks like that that again had interest that we had talked about even tangentially that I could send a follow up on as a way to, again, give value. And I know that we talk about giving value all the time. I want folks to think about how that that, it's a shorthand for really either being a friend or being a person who cares about what was talked about and following up with with something that lets the other person you were talking to know that your conversation mattered to you. You know, the conversation that you had was meaningful and impactful, and I remembered some details from it, and I'm acting on those details later. And that made this a very interesting career transition for me, Scott, because it wasn't just about finding a job. It was about finding my place in a community and being able to show folks that I wasn't there just to just to find something. I was literally, or sorry, legitimately, I should say, interested in our conversation beyond the Mike needs a place to land in Seattle eventually. And that's really paid off well because I've been able to keep folks who I've, I've gotten to know, even if I'm not working with them, like we're, we've been signed up to go, you know, grab lunch sometime in the next couple of weeks, or, you know, we're going to get together for something fun later on or grab some beers or whatever. And that's really kind of neat because I'm getting to know these folks not just as professionals, but as people who are interested in hiking or grilling or video games or whatever else they're interested in. Like, there's so much more to what we do than our labor and our work. And those are always very important parts of our day and our week and all that. But at the same time, that's only one dimension of people. And to be able to recognize that, you know, there are ways that you can help people either at their career or what problems they're working on in these conversations, but it can be something more fun and personal. Like, you know, hey, we talked about your kids being into this branch of science. So here's this fun video I found. Let me know what you think. And, you know, it's those kind of things that make this less about finding work and finding a thing to do for money and more about creating a career that you like, finding people that you can connect with and being able to feel like you've given at least as much as you've received in these sorts of things.
1: Yeah. Well, here's what's really interesting about what you just said and also how you've gone about this is so many of us are interested in having those things in you know, a community of people that we actually get along with and like, and, you know, in some cases a boss that supports us and that we connect with and, you know, have a good fit with the company and all of these other pieces. And yet we go looking for a job. Mm-hmm. So when we make a job change, we go and look for a job. And then we find a job, miraculously because we go find what it is that we aim ourselves towards in mm-hmm. nearly every case. So then we're surprised somehow when it's just a job or it doesn't have all of these other things versus I would advocate that what you did is wholeheartedly different because you went looking for some of the things that were most important to you and acted as those things were actually important and started with those things rather than going and searching for a job. And ironically, you got way better, not ironically, (laughs) right not coincidentally at all, you got way better results (laughs) than nearly everybody else. I forget the stats, but it's really, really low percentage of people that'll get multiple job offers at the same time. Mm-hmm. let alone, I do know the stats for people that'll actually end up in a role that they actually enjoy and are content with and satisfied with and experience continuous levels of satisfaction that is very low. And depending on which study you look at, it's someplace between about 30% on the high end all the way down to about 12% on the low end.
0: Wow, that's a very surprising statistics right there. It's horrible. Yeah, that's pretty rough. At the same time, I feel though that I personally have had a very good supervisors and bosses throughout my career. And I honestly wouldn't be where I am today without a lot of their guidance and their tutelage, if you will. And I'm really excited for the folks that I'm joining as well, because like you talked about finding kind of a fit in a community, I really do feel like I'm joining a great community of folks that are doing good work in, in ways that I think are going to make an impact that we're I'm going to be satisfied with at the end of the day. And that's been a wonderful thing. The flip side of that is that you've pointed out that You know, you have to go about maybe doing the search and maybe a broader, with a bit of a broader focus. It did take a little bit more effort. And in terms of like, you know, it was a little scary to be kind of vulnerable and saying like, I kind of like this video. And it's sort of, it's a, it's a scientific show that's kind of fun and goofy, you know, to, to a business contact, you know, like we did projects that were worth multi millions of dollars and, you know, I'm just like, Hey, your kids might like this. What do you think? That was sort of a scary and vulnerable point for me. but And I'm just thinking back across all the different conversations I've had over the last 11 years or so of my career. I can think of maybe two or three that were negative, and the rest have all been positive. And so it's one of those things that it is scary, and it does make you feel a little vulnerable to go outside of that standard script that we think that folks want to kind of talk about. But there's a lot out there. And even if it's just somebody saying, hey, that was cool, thanks— and nothing else ever comes of that conversation, it was important for me to feel like that I wasn't talking just about the work or the job or the recommendation or the advice or the whatever. And that, for me, made the process something that I could devote more energy to because it gave more energy back to me. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it completely makes sense. And if we want to well, you've got an engineering background and engineering discipline and everything like that. So if we want to take this fairly fuzzy and somewhat scary and semi-emotional thing that is putting yourself out there to some degree and turn it into something that is much more logical, if we just look at the logical side and say, well, hey, we want to hire other people or we want to work with other people that we like, right? Mm -hmm. Which means we want to work with other people that we get along with, which means that we want to work with other people that we share something in common or have some way where we are like them. Mm -hmm. And that's where those types of connections and beginnings of relationships. And that's where it becomes really logical when you trace those things all the way through. It's like, oh, yeah. Of course, that's the person who ends up getting hired. (laughs) Why wouldn't it be? We don't want to hire the person that's robotic. Mm -hmm. They look good on paper and they come in and they may say all the right things per se. But You ask hiring managers about this that don't necessarily have lots and lots of interview experience. And they'll say things like, well, it just feels like there's something off about this one. Like, mm-hmm. when I've sat in the round table afterwards and we would discuss candidates and that's what comes out of hiring managers mouths. Well, you know, they've got all the experience and it seems like everything's good here, but, but I really like Johnny, you know, I think yeah. Johnny could do the job or in this case, you know, I think Mike could probably do this with us. I just really like that guy.
0: <laughs> well, it's, you're right. And it's one of those things that the likability and the connection certainly do help, but it's one of those things that I really do feel it's both who you know and how you're connected to them as well as what you know. It's got to be a combination of those two things, at least in, in the field that I'm in, because, and I say that mostly because of, it's limited of my experience. I, I don't know how other fields kind of break down in terms of that. I do know that those good connections would have gotten me opportunity. They did give me opportunities to talk to folks that I might not have had a chance to talk to otherwise. At the same time the the position I did end up accepting was excited about the whole of my experience and what I could bring to the table in terms of what you can do. And I have a feeling that most folks who are listening to your podcast and are, and are reading your blog, then they know how to do the thing. And it's just getting everyone else to kind of understand that there's, you know, a really cool person there. And that's something that takes practice, but is so rewarding at the end. And keep in mind, we're talking in sort of the afterglow of success here, Scott. Like, I want to remind folks that I am where I am because of a lot of hard work. If we go back to earlier in our conversation, like the first time I hired a career coach back in 2008, that was four months of me doing job search stuff eight hours a day, every day. I took weekends off. But like that was my full-time job, was finding some work in 2008. So my point is that there's... Maybe a tendency for folks, because I know I've fallen into the same thing, where it's just like you hear somebody who's done all this, like, wow, like that's so great. Like, oh, man, I don't know if I could do that. It's just everyone has got time and the ability to do good work and hard work. And I know that the choices that I've made to put in that effort and the opportunities I've had to put in that effort, which were mostly in my control, but sometimes they weren't. Sometimes I simply just got lucky that I talked to somebody at the right time. Or, or had a conversation go one way rather than another. And those things are important to kind of keep in mind as we're talking about all this. It's not just like, oh, this guy like, did all these cool things and now has extra free time to invest a little bit of extra time in talking to people. You know, the, like the flip side of this is that during this last transition up to Seattle, Scott, when I was working with, with Lisa, Not only was that help just what I needed at the time to kind of take myself from where I know I could go to where I ended up getting, but now I gave myself permission to make time in other areas of my day that time that it took me to find a new position in Seattle. Like I said, I'm normally responsible for dinner. If I'm just eating by myself, it's okay for me to get takeout and it's okay for me to eat something that's frozen. Like I just carte blanche gave myself permission to do that. Like I didn't say, You don't have to exercise anymore. I was still up, you know, up on my exercise routine. I still tracked what I was eating and things like that. But I just gave myself permission not to necessarily have to prepare my own food. And that saved me a bit of time or a little mental bandwidth in order to devote more time to this kind of a thing. You know, I also knew that I was going to be most productive on this kind of a thing about seven o'clock to about nine o'clock at night. So I didn't force myself to do anything. When I got home from my day job, I would give myself permission to watch, you know, a half an hour of Netflix while I ate dinner or whatever, and then I wouldn't watch any more Netflix. I knew what kind of worked for me, and I gave myself permission to have a little bit of free time in some areas, but I also kept, you know, making sure that essentially four days a week, I was working at least an hour a day on this. devoted my Sunday afternoons, typically, to kind of planning my week and, initial emails prepped and written or, or researched. And I devoted time on my calendar that I, I blocked it out because that's what worked for me. Other folks have used, you know, checklists or habit apps or whatever. And those, you know, whatever works for you, just do it. Just find that system that allows you to kind of track this progress. Know that it's going to take a bit of effort. And there are going to be times when you just feel kind of stupid or at least I felt pretty dumb for whatever reason. Like you know, something didn't go the way I wanted or somebody Cancelled on me at the last minute or you know for whatever reason like we weren't able to make a phone call or something I kind of feel badly like I didn't give them enough heads up I didn't send a reminder in time or they had something come up and you know Maybe they're just blowing me off or whatever like kind of keeping focused on sort of the next step like well If they're blowing me off on this next one, and it's not going to be a big deal I've got four other people I can talk to And I'll focus on setting up, you know, another conversation with the person I didn't connect with today. And then I'm going to let that be. And it's going to be what it's going to be. And we'll move on to talking to these other folks and and kind of sending those emails and doing that research about what they may be struggling with or talking to their companies about. So I don't know. I felt like I just kind of went on a bit of a a deep dive. Does that kind of make sense in the context of what we're talking about? Yeah.
1: Let me pull out a couple of things that I think are really, really powerful out of that. First of all, let me reach way back and say that The method that we were talking about where you're giving value first and you're looking for those opportunities to give value and even have shifted the mindset and you're having conversations without the intent to immediately get a job. Give me a job now, which is by the way, like asking for marriage on the first date. So just don't do that ever again, ever. But what you did, we often call that the test drive method here and something else that I don't think we said that I think was very, very valuable and you kind of alluded to it was the fact that. Hey, look, people have to believe that you can do the job. I think one of the other values that people often miss when you're going in and getting to have these types of conversations in the level that you did and build relationships, which in some cases evolve into continuous conversations, Mm -hmm. then you get the ability to demonstrate in front of them in a totally different capacity than you would if you're coming through a, I don't know, an application or something else. You get the ability to demonstrate in front of them and interact with them while you're demonstrating your ability to do the thing. Right. And that's completely different. Like other people don't get that opportunity if you go about it the traditional way or if you're asking for marriage on the first date, as we said.
0: mm-hmm I agree. Part of my experience that's maybe related to but slightly Different than what you talked about there is I feel that in an interview situation You have a very limited amount of time to show people what you really bring to the table and you can be very well prepared for this with with great stories anecdotes about how your Experience matches to their needs and you can solve what they're talking about But at the same time if you've had a chance to talk to somebody who might be your future coworker or your future supervisor or boss in a more informal setting and you've had time to, in a more conversational way, A, show them that you've got a lot of these stories and that you're interesting and interested and all that, but you can also kind of figure out sort of what their really top concerns are. And if you're fortunate enough to be introduced to some other folks in the organization and get to see a broader perspective, you're absolutely right, Scott, in saying that it's a very different game to have those informal conversations with people beforehand because as you're going through the formal process, you have much greater amounts of insight into the particular issues that that team is facing, what experience you have can match that, and how they want to kind of hear about those pieces. And it doesn't have to be something like, you know, I do realize that I'm coming at this with a pretty solid set of projects under my belt and jobs and things like that if you don't have that level of experience still being able to tell those stories even if it's something that sort of maybe sounds silly in your head like well i did this one thing in college or i was a, a camp counselor that did you know this thing if you can kind of connect what you did even in those situations that don't seem all that high stakes and they don't have seven figures of project or budget writing on it just being able to talk about those things really allows folks to kind of see that you're thinking through these sorts of questions that they're asking and that you're able to, again, paint that picture of yourself, have those other experiences in that better conversation. And that can put somebody who is more prepared and more engaged ahead of somebody with more experience or might look better on paper. So I feel that your points are very well taken here, Scott, in terms of these, these informal conversations do allow you to play the game a lot differently.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I don't want to get lost that you had mentioned as well, and I think we talked about this on a few different episodes. For example, most recent one, I believe, was our episode on making sure that you have the energy and the ability to make the change. But also, I would put this in the category of what I heard you doing was making this much easier on yourself. Mm -hmm. in a variety of different ways. Some of the mental energy it might take by allowing yourself to pre-make the decision of, look, on Wednesday nights, I'm going to eat this thing in this way, and it's just not a big deal, and you know we're done with it, and I don't have to think about it anymore. And then the other side of it, too, and I think we talked about this in episode 128 with Eric, who was another coaching client, past coaching client, actually, ironically, also an engineer. And we worked with him quite a bit on, hey, how do we make this a much easier situation? How do we have you take action on some of this stuff where you're at your best? And just naturally, you know, at some of your best energy levels, how do we leverage the time that is already in your day where it's going to be easier to be able to make some of these things happen versus more difficult? And how do we set the chessboard up so it's very easy to get the checkmate versus having to, I don't know, bring the queen from all the way over (laughs) here to all the way over there? Why not just make it easier? And I think you did a particularly good job of that. So, kudos to you, first of all. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And consequently, it sounds like, you know, this transition was much, much easier in some respects than the 2008 transition, just in terms of sheer time almost that it takes, if I'm doing the math right.
0: Yeah. I mean, this one was about two months versus four months back in 2008. Obviously, slightly different circumstances, but at the same time, your point is well taken that. At that point in my career, I was very focused on just the fundamentals of how to talk to people better in a professional capacity, and that worked out fairly well. At the same time, you know, I I got myself to the point through that that I was like, you know, I did okay, but there are other things that I could do better, and that's what I really felt like I was able to grow into this time, is doing that second half of it better. And of course, you know, that's part of the reason why I feel that coaching is a very valuable thing is that you know, if you just take a look at my own career, and my own successes, it's been because I've had people able to kind of show me better ways to do things or to challenge me to do more than I have been. Because sometimes you can stretch yourself and sometimes you need a team of people to kind of stretch you beyond your best. And that's something that I think the biggest value for me from coaching is that you have somebody in your corner who's looking out for your best interest and if they're doing their job as well as Lisa did hers, They're pushing you to be the best version of yourself and to stretch and grow yourself consistently towards that best self.
1: Well, I am certainly a huge fan of of Lisa and she kept me in the loop for your entire journey. So that was fun because I got to <laughs> For every person that we work with, I sort of get to live vicariously through them and as we bring more and more coaches onto the team, then <laughs> mm-hmm. I get more and more of that. So that makes it a lot of fun for me. But as I mentioned already, I think you did a particularly nice job just because you were looking Well, I mean, this wasn't your first time around. So I think we got to see advances even. And I think that was one of the reasons I was interested in having you come on and talk about this. So one other question that I would ask you, Mike, before we go is, you know, if somebody's getting started... And somebody's on the other end of this, (laughs) maybe we're back where you were in 2008 or they haven't made several of these transitions in this particular type of way. What would you advise them to do to get started using this type of what we call the test drive method, which is a variation of informational interviews or informational interviews themselves or any other method that really requires being able to get out there and begin building relationships with people?
0: That's a good and tough question, Scott. I would say, and this is something I've actually talked to some folks that have come to me in the last couple of weeks saying, hey, I see that you're doing this job transition thing. How do I do that? I would say start making this as easy on yourself as you can because this, finding a different job or starting a career or changing a career, those are all very difficult Energy intensive things that take a lot of your time, your emotional energy, your mental bandwidth. It's a big undertaking. So start off by making it easy. Look at your friends who maybe are doing things or know folks that you could potentially talk to and find that easy ask you know if one of your for instance has a friend that maybe you met at a party or know of through you know Kind of a friend of a friend thing. And they work in video games. And you were thinking, you know, maybe I could do this video game thing because I love, like programming or I, I'm very good at sort of you know, the drawing aspects and coming up with these assets. and I love computer animation or whatever it is that you might think about those kind of things. But you I mean it's you know hard industry to get into. Ask your friend saying, Hey, I've been really excited about XYZ parts of the video game industry. I know that your friend you know works for whatever company that's doing cool stuff. I'm hoping to ask them just to kind of a couple of questions about their experience in getting into the industry. Do you think, would you be willing to introduce us? And I'll just send them an email with three questions. And if they're too busy, it's totally fine. Something along those lines is the way to get started. The reason I say that is because, A, your friend wants to help you out. They know that you're excited about video games in this case. And their friend maybe works for a company that could help you guys figure that out. You've given a way to start the conversation saying that you're excited about this portion of it or you've done something like this and you wanna know more about how their story looked. Again, you're focused on not what you want but what their story is, which is, again, easier to talk about if you're a person who's in the industry and somebody who's like a beginner or, or trying to make the transition is coming to you. It's easier to kind of talk about your story than it is to maybe give specific advice because you've also got to think about it from their perspective. Like, be in a position where they have more knowledge than you, or they have more authority or experience or what have you. But at the same time, it's almost like getting put on the spot, being like, "What do I do to get in?" That's a hard question to answer because there are a lot of complexities, and experts or people with you know a lot of experience can understand that that's a that's a tough thing to nail down well. So make it easy on them to say yes by you know saying, "Well, I just want to know a bit more about their story about how they got in." Maybe ask them a couple of questions about the industry. Because then it's not about you know what do I do, it's about what's out there, what are the problems that are being faced. So you're taking a lot of the load off the person you eventually wanna talk to and your friend who's gonna be making these introductions. So at the end of all this, you've made it very easy for people to say yes because they're not committing too much in terms of the length of conversation or the gravity of the conversation. There's not a lot of expectations in terms of like, well, You know, I'll need to find a way to get this person an interview or anything like that. There's none of that. You're just trying to find out what their story is, what issues or challenges are are in the industry that they're facing right now. And from there, you'll be able to get a lot more information about how your background could potentially fit those sorts of things or to, you know, attack the problem in a different way. And this can give you great insights, not only for eventually maybe making that transition but they're gonna allow you to have more in-depth conversations as things progress. A great example is that you know somebody I know went ahead and did this and when they had that conversation, they had prepared a little bit, they asked good questions, there wasn't that sort of, oh, do I need to find somebody's you know interview or next step or give them advice that's gonna change their life or anything. They were just talking about how did you get in here, what was cool about it, what'd you like, and what are some of the problems you're facing. That led to a couple of introductions to other folks. And now those introductions are going to be the ones where you have a lot more information from your first couple of conversations. Now you can have much higher level conversations with those next groups of people. I kind of got a little detailed there. I apologize, Scott. Um, You were asking a more general question.
1: No, that's perfect. I I think that helps people understand, one, how to get started, and two, what this can take. The less we're looking at this as a, I go and I talk to the person and then I get the job. The more that we're looking at this as a long-term game, how do I actually build relationships or how do I set myself up to be able to add value or set myself up to be able to meet more people or set myself up to any number of other things, then I think that ends up getting over the long-term better results, even though it feels to many people counterintuitively like a longer way around.
0: It's true. It can feel like a longer way around, but at the end of the day, we want—at least for me—one of the things that I felt was really motivating, and what I've loved seeing in folks who are just starting out, who also are very—it's obvious they want to make, you know, a career change to like the green engineering field or whatever. Yeah. Like the fact that they've come and they've brought enthusiasm, they've brought decent questions that they've either researched or at least they've talked to other folks about. Those kind of conversations are just amazing to have as somebody who's been in an industry that folks have wanted to get into. So I felt great about those conversations because I've been able to, you know, a kind of feel pretty cool about knowing stuff, and b know that the person I'm talking to is acting on that that information. It's not just we didn't just have a good conversation and you know that was it. Like they're taking my seriously or they're acting on finding solutions. Um, or they're part of a solution to some of these issues that we talked about. So I guess, you know, kind of sum up, folks who are at the start or might not necessarily have a lot of connections or they don't feel like they can bring a lot to the table, realize that being a person who will listen and act is value in itself. And when you're serious about trying to take these difficult questions that you might wrestle with, in terms of like technical problems and things like that. Because there was actually a time that I was talking to one group of engineers and they threw a, a modeling problem at me that I had no idea. Like I had not seen this in my research and I had just, I had dropped the ball on trying to figure this thing out. You know, but I was honest with them. I said, you know what, don't have a good solution for you on that one, but here's kind of what I thought about that. Here's how I might approach it. And they said, okay, that's fine. And we kind of let it go and we talked about other things. Well, I went back and found out exactly how to do what they had asked me to do. Not just the general solution, that I kind of threw my hands at and was like, eh, maybe this. And I was like, okay, here's how I was right. Here's how the general solution that I had outlined can fail, so here's what you have to do to correct it. And I sent him a one-page synopsis of the full solution afterwards. And that really changed the tone of the conversation. I was like, okay, Mike, Mike is serious and he's taking this whole conversation to the next level. So the point of that is that if you don't know, that's okay. The problem isn't that you don't know. The problem is if if you find out that you don't know about something that's important to the industry that you want to get into and you don't try and follow up with that, that's the problem. You got to use that sort of beginner's state to your advantage by being able to be sort of out there and saying, look, this is kind of what I found so far, you know, and people might be able to give you a little bit more insight into where you're missing out But to have somebody kind of fill in that gap after you talk to them and come back to you, like I said, I've been on both sides of that. And that has been just one of the the really cool things about talking about either engineering or or any sort of position is finding other folks that are excited enough to kind of try and figure out how these things are going to look differently or, or to find those solutions to actively fill in that knowledge gap. And even if you're at a more beginner level or earlier on in your career, like that's what separates folks who are there and are going to grow from folks who are there and are maybe going to eventually get promoted, like enthusiasm and the sort of self-starter drive counts for a lot. And it doesn't have to be something like, you know, you do it the day of. I mean, I was a bit extreme in that. It's something that if, you know, you get back to folks in a week or two with a good solution like that, people remember that. So I would say if you're in an early stage or you feel like a beginner and you don't have a lot to contribute, being a person who's willing to ask questions you've researched a bit and to follow up on the answers is going to be the way to really, A, learn a lot and B, set yourself apart as somebody who's taking what these folks say seriously.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, share your story, share some of your successes, especially the Mm -hmm. recent successes, and then also share some of the things in that maybe haven't gone as well either or have, I guess, shared the what it takes behind the scenes. That's, I think, what I'm looking for. And I think all of that is really, really valuable to HTY series that are listening right now and are in this place where they're making a transition or about to make a transition or deciding to make a change in one way or another. So I very, very much appreciate that. And I know that we were chatting before and you've committed to detailing some of this out on, on paper, on purpose, if I understood correctly. So you're going to do that and post it up on your website so people can go over and, and be able to, I guess, see it in writing, if you will.
0: I definitely want to make sure that I take this opportunity to kind of give back to your community here, Scott. So I'm thrilled to be able to put that together for not only my friends but for the the greater HTYC community. So that website is at Mike M I K E Bigelow B I G E L O W dot net slash HTYC.
1: Two years ago, when we first met Mike, we got to work with him firsthand, and He was was one of our students, and we were able to see these changes happen in his life and career over a period of about four months. And I wanted you to know that the program that many of our students have gone through, Career Change Bootcamp, just opened again. We just opened the doors uh, to Career Change Bootcamp again. We only do this a few times per year, several times per year. And if you'd like to get help like Mike did, the very best way for you to do that and to find out if Career Change Bootcamp is right for you, is to email me directly, scott at happenedyourcareer.com and just put conversation in the subject line. We can take it from there and we'll connect you up with our team and schedule time to chat and figure out the very best way that we can help you reach your career goals and even what could be really amazing ideal work possibilities for you. We've got so much more coming Tomorrow, though, I want you to check out my much more recent conversation with Mike because so much has changed in his life, and getting the getting the right role lined up for him quite frankly yeah it it set him up for everything else that he wanted and started to build the foundation for what's been possible for him over the last two years to have a completely different life as he's been building a new family and he has been uh, continually progressing in his work. And by the way, the best way to do that, best way to catch the episode is make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. That way it comes to your device automatically in your sleep. And if you're already subscribed, well, then share this episode with a friend that needs a little help with their career. I'll see you next time right here on Happen to Your Career. Until then, I am out. Adios.